Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. My name's Rick Samprin. Some good news for a change when it comes to COVID. Hamilton's Arena Project has a new partner. The HSR may soon offer free rides to kids. Hamilton and Niagara hosting a boot camp for international startups. Is the CCB really lifting Canadian kids out of poverty? And it's Purolator Tackle Hunger Day at Tim Hortons Fields. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Huge news in the city of Hamilton last week. The company behind the new arenas for the New York Islanders and the Seattle Kraken now involved in the revitalization of Hamilton's downtown arts and entertainment district, in particular our revitalized arena. Oakview Group is joining forces with the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group in what is expected to be the biggest redevelopment project in the city's recent history. It also marks Oakview Group's first development property in Canada. And here to chat with us about it is the CEO of Oakview Group, Tim Lywicki. Tim, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Glad to join you, Rick, and always glad to be back in uh, Canada, a very, very special part of the world and a place that I uh, near and dear to our heart. So this is OVG's first foray into Canada. Why Hamilton? Why this arena project? So this is our ninth project that we've announced or either is uh, under development or near under development. Uh, we're building the Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, the UBS Arena in New York. We have the Moody Center down in Austin, Texas, uh, a new arena coming in Palm Springs, one in Savannah. Uh, we announced uh, Co-op Live, which is our new arena in Manchester, UK. And then we're building a new arena in Cardiff, Wales. Uh, we've been very fortunate and very focused at growing our company and trying to be entrepreneurial about the great opportunities in the world to build new live entertainment arenas and districts or renovate. And we've been looking to get back into Canada and plant a flag there because of my three years in Toronto with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. We happen to think that the Toronto area and in particular the province of Ontario is growing very quickly. And so we were really excited to find this partnership and this opportunity in Hamilton. We, we really like the community, love the vision for the renovation of the entertainment district and appointed destination live district in downtown Hamilton and believe that the future of Hamilton and this district is extremely bright. So th- this was a great opportunity. It allowed me to get back to a place that I really loved working in. It allowed our company ultimately to find another very entrepreneurial uh, vision for a community that's going to go through growth. And it needs a, that arena needs some help. And so we understood that this was right location at the right time. And I, I think we're really committed to trying to do something special there. The original budget for this uh, revitalization project was about $50 million. How much more money is being thrown into the pot? Um, a lot. So I, I wish $50 <laughs> million would, would fix it. <laughs> but And I know this sounds a bit astronomical, but we believe it's going to... We don't believe in Band-Aids, Rick, so we have to go fix this. The, the, it means that we're going to have to put sufficient capital into this project in order to make this a point of destination that not just uh, fans feel good about, but artists feel good about. Music is a huge component for us. Uh, We have a great relationship with Live Nation, who's the largest promoter in the world and by far the largest promoter in Canada. 
So we'll work in conjunction with them on what does it take and what can we make sense of in order to really fix this so it's a 30, 40-year vision and we create the arena so that it's one of the best arenas in all of Canada. Uh, this isn't going to work if we're putting a fresh coat of paint on it. So we understand this is going to be more than $50 million, and we're prepared to spend substantially more. And I think over the course of the next few months with our partners, we will ultimately look at how do we make this uh, a good arena and a good complement to Scotiabank Arena in Toronto so that we do get our fair share of sporting events and music events and cultural events. So what's this thing going to look like when it's done? Uh, better than it looks like today. And so we, we <laughs> That's not saying in, much, Tim. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we brought in um, an architectural team that we're working with in Baltimore on the new renovation of that building. Uh, we're putting in between 150 and 200 million into the new renovated Baltimore arena. So Murray and his team that are our, our designers are the same folks that did the renovation at Madison Square Garden. Uh, they did the renovation at the Forum in Los Angeles. So I think they're the single best group in the world to go take a look at an old building that's tired and try to figure out how we could take it and, and make it more compatible to the new arenas that are being built in places like Seattle with Climate Pledge and New York with UBS Arena. And so I, I, I don't know um, exactly what the tab is going to be, but what we are doing with our architects is saying, look, throw everything at it and come back to us and tell us what, how can we make this look spectacular, and then we'll look at what that costs and try to figure out how much we could spend where we're still going to get a decent rate of return for the risk that we take. There's the balancing act, which is it's, it's a triangle decision. You want to you go look at everything and say, give me a complete view of a complete fix Two, then price it and see how much is that going to cost us. And then three, finally, you try to figure out how much you're going to be able to generate in the new revenue. That, in the, that defines how much we could spend. So I think that's the, the, that's the work we have to do in the next few months is really roll up our sleeves, dream of the, the impossible, how good could it be and what does that look like, how much is that going to cost us and how much could we afford to spend. But what, what is certain is we're going to spend substantially more than the $50 million that, is, that has been originally forecast. Well, it sounds exciting. Uh, I think it's going to be fantastic. I know hockey fans and concert lovers are, are going to love it, and it's very much needed. The time is, is right to do so. Tim, thank you very much for the time, and thanks for hopping on board on this project. I know Hamilton's going to be better for it. Thanks, Rick, and we look forward to working with everyone up there, and we'll see you soon. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The HSR is planning for free city bus rides for kids aged 6 to 12. Still has to be ratified by council, but this sounds like a pretty good idea. Executive Director of the Boys and Girls Club, Glenn Harkness, joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Glenn. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Rick? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family as well. Thanks for joining us. Um, Thank you. What's going to be the impact? If I mean, if this is ratified by council, and I don't see them not doing so, but what is going to be the impact when this program is launched? Yeah, I believe it's going to be ratified by, by council, and I think it's a tremendous idea as we 
all know from research that we've had for years and years and years is that transportation can be a barrier to participation. And I think participating in any type of activity or sport is important for that age group. So if we could eliminate that that one barrier of transportation, then I think we're doing a, a good thing. So hopefully it gets through. And again, I think it will, and it will benefit lots of children and youth. Is uh, transportation or the lack or barrier to transportation an issue that families and individuals who have utilized the services of the Boys and Girls Club, is that something that they've identified as, you know, if it was cheaper or if it was free in some cases, Mm -hmm. I would be here or my family would be here more often? Mm -hmm. And I think we have a history, the Boys and Girls Club, both locally and nationally, of tearing down barriers to participation. And we've known for years that transportation is one of those barriers, and certainly financial being another one. And I think you're doing both those things when when you offer you know free bus rides to that age group that you're eliminating the the transportation barrier and certainly financial. And we all know anytime we can help the pocketbook of young families and and people in our city, we're doing a good thing because. You listen to the news and you do it every day. You listen to the news and everything seems to be going up in price. And this is just um, going to be a great thing that, you know, eases the pocketbook a tiny bit for, for families. This would be a one-year pilot project starting on November 1st. The Public Works Committee uh, approved it unanimously last week. City Council uh, is uh, more than likely going to ratify it this week. The one-year trial or or pilot project is a good first step, but should this become permanent? Because other cities have this as a permanent fixture with their transportation. Yeah, I think it should, and and I actually believe that it will. And this one-year pilot is going to prove that by way of um, you know, their own research around how many um, children in that age group are, are using the service, the free service. And um, I think at the end of the year, they're going to see that there there's going to be a tremendous uptake on the amount of children using that, that service. And at, at the end of the year, they're going to see that they, they need to put this in permanently to, to help the children in that age group. Some of these cities that have a permanent free transit for kids 6 to 12 include Burlington, Oakville, Toronto, and London. So Hamilton is going to be next on the list, at least in terms of this pilot, and and hopefully permanently as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And the money that they're saving, I mean, it's not going to be a boatload of money. It could be $20, $30, $40 a week in some cases. But that money can be spent on other things that families and individuals need. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And, you know, we see families uh, where that $20, $30 dollars a week is a lot of money to them and at the end of the day if you make a decision to you know i i I need to stretch my grocery bill here or i need to pay my hydro bill or 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 rent and i know it's not a lot of money going towards rent but it's a little bit then when you add it all up if we could do some other things to help families then then it is going to to save them uh dollars and you know stretching that that family's budget in a day and age where, again, we live in a day and age where everything seems to be going up. The cost of groceries has been hitting the news uh, lately, and of course, rent and and house prices. Um, But yeah, if we can do something just to save them a little bit, then I think it's a great thing. 
Yeah, every penny counts in this regard mm-hmm. for sure. Glenn mm-hmm. Harkness is our guest. He's the executive director of the Boys and Girls Club. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. How has the club pivoted during the pandemic? Because we've had, you know, as a society, ups and downs. How has the club uh, adjusted to things? Yep, same as for in the last 18, 19, 20 months, um, pivoting, and we've all done that. Um, we've done a good job, and I think our, our members would tell you this, we've done a good job with respect to virtual programming um and we've come a long way and obviously have to wait for both provincial and public health announcements to open things up but um the last two summers we did have an in-person summer camp and it was very very successful um and we continue to have in-person child care we've done that since day one the, uh, this government has no appetite to close down child care because again the the ripple effect that that could have on on the economy. Um, so we do in-person child care, and we we have started some in-person early years programming, and then some um, in-person drop-in programs where this uh, pilot project with the City of Hamilton HSR is going to help because that's the age group that that would come to our our drop-in program. So yeah, we've pivoted like everybody else, trying to you know service and. Um, support children and youth and yeah it's been it's been different we're not nearly at capacity that we've been post um, uh, COVID but uh, hopefully we're going to get there and get there soon. Yeah, that'd be uh, great to see, especially for all the uh, young boys and girls who want to mm-hmm. participate uh, with each other and uh, and do so in a safe manner. Glenn, appreciate the time today and again, happy Thanksgiving. Yes, thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Does the Canada Child Benefits, CCB, actually reduce child poverty in Canada? Well, that's a question our next guest asked himself, and I think he has a pretty good answer. Chris Sarlo is his name. He's a senior fellow at the Fraser Institute and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Well, the answer to your question is? Well, it's kind of mixed. And (laughs) I'll tell you, uh, it is one of the most expensive social uh, government programs. Uh, And the claim was made by a number of people, including Prime Minister Trudeau, that, uh, you know, 367,000 children were lifted out of poverty because of the CCB. And so I thought I would just check to see if they have a study or some kind of research backing that up because it is very important uh if if that program is is to be held accountable and so i looked at the research uh the government research was none uh then i looked at um academic research and there was one study that said the results are mixed in other words um if you look at the ccb compared to the program that that it replaced uh in some in some instances, using some databases, it showed a little bit of a, a better result. And in other cases, using different databases, it showed a, a worse result. So the results were mixed. One of the most important uh, outcomes of the, of the academic study that was done by a uh, University of Toronto uh, professor uh, was that it had the CCB had no apparent effect on women's labor. And that's a very important result because that goes to the, which you would, think of as the most enduring uh, s- solution to poverty is, is women working. So we decided to do, this is uh, in coordination with the Fraser Institute, we decided to do our own research, and we looked at a StatsCan um, 
simulation ba uh, database that we have, and we ran that through, and we found as well that the results were somewhat mixed, although of concern is that the CCB seems to help people that are uh, uh, that are better off, still below the what, what they called the official poverty line, which is the MBM. Uh, it, it helped people that were just below that, but people substantially below that weren't helped as much. So it helps the less poor more than the more poor, and that was a, um, I, I think, an eye-opening result. So can it be tweaked at all to help those who are truly low-income families? Well, that's the question. I mean, I, I guess the deeper question is, should the government be in the business of subsidizing procreation in the first place? And that's a, that's a, a question that we really need to answer, and that there's been no, uh, no justification given governments just sort of do what they do. And uh, largely, previous essays that I've done on the CCB sort of established that uh, the CCB is basically a a transfer to middle class, middle income families. Most of the funds go to middle income families, which are, I guess, majority of the voters. And so um, could we tweak it, you ask? Could we, could, is there a possibility the government could change it? Sure. They could have devoted all the funds to the poor and probably could have solved child poverty, but that wasn't what they did. And uh, so I just, I think the impo most important result is we decided that uh, government claims ought to be held uh, to evidence, ought to be tested, and that's what we did with this particular study. Uh, our guest is Christopher uh, Sarlo. He is a senior fellow at the Fraser Institute, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. How does the government determine who is eligible for this benefit and, and how much they get? Is there any kind of uh, secret formula or, or publicized there, formula? There is. I mean, first of all, they give somewhere in the range of five to six thousand dollars per child between, uh, you know, birth and, and eighteen or seventeen. Uh, but there's a cutoff, and so it starts to thin out. It gets the the amount that you get gets lower as your income is above. I believe it's somewhere in the 125, 130 range, and it completely is completely eliminated. I think in some range of around two hundred thousand dollars. So that's broadly the sort of the cutoffs that are there. But um, it goes to families that uh, that are eligible, which is, I've just sort of explained the cutoffs, mm -hmm. and it goes to all families with children in that situation. And I think, you know, it's good for Canadians to be somewhat skeptical to think about this. And, you know, what's the reason for this? Why does it, why is the government subsidizing this situation rather than aiming its attention at the poor, which you would think if it was roasting about child poverty, then it would, it would actually focus attention on that particular group. Uh, again, this is a redistributive program that basically gives middle-class families back some of the money they've paid in taxes. Wow, interesting stuff. Chris, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for shining a light on this topic. No problem. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Exciting a uh, startup initiative is going to be coming to Hamilton shortly. The CEO of Latham Startups is joining us now, and her name is Miriam Lazarte. Miriam, good morning. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you so much for inviting me. So we're chatting about the Hamilton Niagara Scale-Up Boot Camp. What is it going to be all about? Oh, this is a very uh, great initiative that we are doing along with uh, Hamilton and Niagara. And uh, this is to bring international tech startups to the region. 
Uh, so we are deciding, you know, over uh, tech companies that are coming in, in particularly from Latin America uh, that want to establish a second headquarters or headquarters in Canada, in particular in this region. So we are very much looking forward to have a very intense one week, uh, you know, training sessions and, and making sure that these companies have enough information and support so they can establish their business in Hamilton, Niagara. So these are uh, businesses who already have a foothold in their own countries, and now they're being invited to kind of test out to see if their product or service would work in this area, correct? That's correct. So most of the companies uh, are companies that already have a sales traction. Uh, so they've been growing in the in, in the Latin American region uh, very fast and good. And right, right now they are looking for options to grow in North America. And of course, they are looking into Canada and in Canada where, uh, you know, depending on the type of technology, they will go to one city to an, or, or, or the other. So in this case, uh, you know, we are looking for certain um, particular uh, technology companies that will be uh, doing a good match with what uh, the services in Niagara um, and Hamilton uh, have as a startup ecosystem. So this uh, boot camp, this uh, one-week scale-up boot camp, is going to be for international startups in agri-technology, digital health, and education technology. What information is going to be shared during this boot camp? Well, it's more like a basic information for them to understand if they have the right support Support in the Hamilton Niagara region. Things like, uh, you know, do they have uh, angel investment networks? Do they have grants? Uh, you know, what type of innovation centers, accelerators, or mentors in this area? are uh, for this type of companies. And um, uh, we are having sessions about also marketing and sales in North America, legal, uh, you know, stuff around uh, the companies in particular, they are looking to information on how to incorporate a company in there and, uh, you know, what will be an option to immigrate along that, that incorporation because sometimes they may have one to co-founders that uh, will move to Canada in order to uh, also move uh, the headquarters of the company. Our guest uh, this morning is Miriam Lazarte. She is the CEO of Latam Startups, and you're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Um, so we're ch- chatting about a, a boot camp, a one-week free boot camp for international startups in digital health, education technology, agri-technology. When's the application deadline for companies or individuals to uh, apply to attend this boot camp? Yeah, we are looking into a deadline of October 23rd, so it's coming very, very soon, and uh, selecting the companies the week after that. Um, so yeah, uh, we already have some uh, um, applications in process, so we are really, really looking forward to have as many applicants as possible so we can select the best companies for, for this bootcamp. Is there a maximum amount of companies that will attend this bootcamp, and when will it begin? Yeah, it will begin in the first week of November and we are looking into 10 to 20 companies, uh, or, sorry, 15 to 20 companies that, that will be attending the bootcamp uh, on that week. Now, those uh, startups in uh, digital health, agri-technology, education technology, is there a need for that in Ontario around the Golden Horseshoe? Oh, yeah, there is a need uh, in particular, you know, with the pandemic, I think uh, any solutions in digital uh, health has become even more, uh, you know, with people are paying more attention to that. And there is a way more grants in that, those areas. I believe that, you know, Canada is trying to look for companies that uh, can provide a good uh, innovative 
innovative technology and also bring some of the intellectual property to the country. Uh, so for the agricultural part, of course, Niagara is, is very strong on that part, along with Hamilton. Um, believe those those kind of uh, you know technologies are going to make a difference and uh, in you know in the region by providing uh, new innovative solutions uh, to the region and to also look for uh, you know uh, some partners around that perhaps are developing similar type of technologies and can be uh, you know these type of solutions may be complementary to others that are already in the market. Uh, is there a goal in terms of how many companies uh, could possibly set up shop or put down roots? in this area? Well, uh, we have discussed uh, so far with Hamilton, this is as, kind of as a pilot to see how many companies are going to be interested to actually uh, settle in there. But I have to say that normally in our companies, you know, we, when we kind of go through boot camps or, or um, a, you know, phase one validation programs is how we call it, uh, around 65% uh, they finish up, uh, you know, incorporating companies in, in Canada. So uh, in particular, my personal goal is that at least that amount of percent will be uh, the number of companies that, that probably will be uh, looking to settle in, in the Hamilton, Niagara region. Sounds good. Miriam, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for the invitation. And we are very, very much looking forward to work this bootcamp with Hamilton Niagara region. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Uh, fourth wave of COVID-19 pandemic appears to have leveled off across Canada. And I think we're all celebrating this News We heard Friday from the Public Health Agency of Canada warning that public health measures need to be maintained to keep COVID cases at bay. And Chief Public Health Officer Dr. Teresa Tam brought us that good news by saying that, hey, we're doing a great job. Let's keep it up. Despite the very real challenges being faced at the height of the current curve, current wave, the efforts we've made give us reason for optimism. But we must remain mindful of the need for continued caution in the months ahead. Yeah, there's always there's always a but. You know, we're doing great, but we got to keep doing what we're doing. That means getting vaccinated if you're not already, getting that second dose if you've already received your first dose, wearing that mask, physically distancing, doing all the things we have been doing. And... The Public Health Agency of Canada says that if the current transmission levels are maintained, the number of new daily cases could decline in the coming weeks. We've seen a slow burn of declining numbers. And over the weekend, 500 cases both Saturday and Sunday. But Dr. Tam says if transmission increases by just 15% in the next few months, and she's talking 15% across the country, if transmission increases by just 15% in the next few months, there could be a considerable resurgence, her words, not mine, of the virus this winter. And Dr. Howard New, who is the Deputy Chief Public Health Officer, said, quote, we are far from declaring the pandemic over. So while the news is good, while the news is encouraging, while the numbers look better than they once did, we're not there yet. We're getting there. We're on the path. If we can get more people with double doses in their arms, we're going to get closer to that end goal. It was uh, well, last week or a couple of weeks ago, we uh, we had a guest on the show that said, uh, listen, this, this pandemic 
at least as we've known it, could be over on or before or by Christmas. And uh, wouldn't that be a great gift? I'm not sure it's ever going away. I think like the flu or the influenza, I think COVID is here to stay. But as long as the vaccine is around and other variants don't crop up, similar to those like the Delta variant, if that doesn't occur, I think we're on a good path to finally, not necessarily beating this thing, but getting the upper hand. So we haven't beaten the flu, we haven't beaten the common cold, they're still around, but we have things in place to deal with all those uh, illnesses and viruses and whatnot. Uh, Special day for the Salvation Army, I should mention. It is World Homeless Day today as well. And to bring attention to the issue of homelessness in Ontario, Salvation Army has released a series of short films today featuring the personal stories from several clients at Salvation Army locations across the province and the staff that supported them on their journey. So these um, short films are going to feature places like the Lighthouse Shelter in Oakville, Gateway Linens in Toronto, the Ottawa Booth Center, the Windsor Center of Hope, and the Journey of Life Center in Thunder Bay. Salvation Army doing uh, what they do and um, showcasing and sharing their uh, wealth of knowledge and their uh, things that they've won on in the past with uh, the, uh, the broader public. Should mention this as well. Facebook's VP of Global Affairs says the company is working to make the service safer and less capable of spreading misleading content. Haven't they said that before? As we know, this company's come under fire after a former employee, a whistleblower, went public with concerns that Facebook is stoking needless division amongst the general public and putting profits over people. Well, the VP of Global Affairs at Facebook, Nick Clegg, told ABC's This Week that the company takes the criticism seriously. We can't change human nature. You'll always see bad things online. We can do everything we can to try and reduce and mitigate them. CEO Mark Zuckerberg says the company has been unfairly mischaracterized. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Big game today, Ticats Argos. It is a 4 o'clock kickoff at Tim Hortons Field. And it's more than just a football game today because it's also Pure Later Tackle Hunger Day at the Ball Yard. Over 13,000 people in Hamilton, including thousands of children, need a food bank every month. And today at Tim Hortons Field, Pure Later Tackle Hunger Game Day is going to tackle that need. Fans are being asked to bring a non-perishable food item to today's game and look for a donation bin at any gate. And with Purolator's help, the food will then be delivered to Hamilton Food Chair and the 12 local food banks that it serves. Joining us now from Hamilton Food Chair, he's the Community Relations Coordinator, Justin Glover. Justin, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Rick. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. What is the impact that this drive has on Hamilton Food Chair? No, um... It's, it's quite interesting when we look at the Hamilton community and thinking about the, the people that are in this Hamilton community and, and who are helping us out. This is, uh, from, a, from a non-number standpoint, this is a, an impact that, that we feel. We feel that, that, that support and we feel everything that uh, uh, our neighbours are doing for each other. So um, the impact's actually there. But in terms of like... Uh, uh, putting putting on some numbers uh, and and some value, uh, 
it's un, it's actually unmeasurable. It's actually completely unmeasurable. And and we're hoping we get uh, we get record numbers at the game uh, in terms of food poundage and uh, see what uh, see what kind of gets uh, brought back uh, tomorrow. What uh, food items are most in need at Hamilton Food Share? Yeah, you know what? That's a that's a really good question, and it, it's a unique one for us to answer. Um, we always revert to this old kind of saying here that the donation that is the most important to the donor is the best donation. So whatever you can actually bring to the game uh, today uh, or whatever you can actually donate, we're so grateful for because that's the most impactful and meaningful is if it's meaningful to you as a donor. Now, that being said, there are some items, uh, high protein items, uh, your peanut butters, your canned meats, your beans, your legumes, your lentils. Those are items that are always in high demand and we always need. And you can also think about other items such as personal care items as well um, that, that we can take. And baby food is, is another one and baby products as well as in something that isn't really thought about from time to time are those uh, small items that we all seem to have in our cupboards um, and kind of neglect when we when we think about, you know, what a non-perishable is, but those are your spices, your salts, your peppers, your, uh, your sugars, your condiments even. So, um, but at the end of the day, whatever is meaningful to you as a donor, bring it on down to the game and we'll make sure we, uh, we uh, get it from you. Anyone bringing uh, a can of meat might be tempted to throw it at an Argos player. We want to uh, uh, mention that that shouldn't happen. Uh, please uh, drop it in the bin. <laughs> we know the, the rivalry between the Ticats and Argos can get heated at time, but it's better in the donation bin than uh, uh, throwing at a player on, on the field, and we certainly don't want to see that. Uh, we're chatting with Justin Glover, Community Relations Coordinator with Hamilton Food Share. Today is Purolator Tackle Hunger Game Day Food Drive at Tim Hortons Field as the Cats entertain the Argos later on today. Um, financial donations, can they also be made not necessarily at the stadium but online as well yeah you know what there's actually to be honest with you there is some uh, there is a way to do it uh, at the stadium there's going to be some qr codes so you can do it right from your phone directly at the game so they those will be provided at the uh, donation area as well um and if you can't get it or you miss it and you're forgetting it and you're listening right now and you just want to donate go to our website hamilton food share dot org right there it's the first thing you see there's a donate button it'll direct you and you can uh, put your information there so it's hamiltonfoodshare.org also on the website uh, people will notice that there's a thanksgiving food drive that is uh, displayed on the site how's that been going you know what um (laughs) i actually before we sat down uh i've uh had the opportunity to see the support and you know handle some of the donations that have been uh, coming in from our community and we are so so grateful for what we're seeing the poundage of food the the financial contributions is uh it's it's so 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 moving to see what the hamilton community brings around this time of year it is a festive time it is a time for giving it's time to think about our neighbors and uh hamilton always has a way of doing that and we're extremely grateful for uh for what they're doing for us and for for everyone else in Uh, this time of year. Yeah, it's also a time to give thanks and to give thanks to uh, many people who are going to be donating food today and a big thanks to Hamilton Food Share for the great work that you do in the community as well. Justin, thanks for the time. Uh, Enjoy the game today and good luck with the food drive as well. Oh, thank you so much, Rick. And before I go, I just want to uh, give a big shout out to Purolator and the Ticats. 
they are fantastic partners and we're so happy to have them on board and uh, are, are extremely grateful for what they do and the hard work that they're putting in. Uh, See you at the game and Oski Wee Wee. And right back at you, Justin. Justin Glover, Community Relations Coordinator, Hamilton Food Share. You can find out more information on their website, hamiltonfoodshare.org. And uh, yes, if you are going to the game or, hey, listen, you don't have to necessarily have a ticket to go to the game. If you want to drop off non-perishable food items and uh, wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving and then be on your merry way, I'm I'm sure they would not say no. (laughs) So you can head out to Tim Hortons Field today. And uh, help out with the Pure Later Tackle Hunger Game Day Food Drive. I think the record on this day is 1,600 pounds. I think I might be underselling that. It might be actually even more than that uh, for this one-day event. As for the game itself, kickoff is at 4. Our coverage here on CHML begins at 3 with the pregame show. After the game, as always, will be the fifth quarter here on 900 CHML. Probably will start in and around 7 o'clock. That's... Uh, probably when the game should end, barring uh, another overtime game like we saw uh, last time around between uh, the uh, Tiger Cats and the Alouettes, which did not go Hamilton's way. So hopefully on the fifth quarter will be more of a celebratory mood considering it is Thanksgiving. But uh, hey, listen, if Toronto wins this football game, they're four points clear of Hamilton with just a handful of games to go. This is a huge game for both teams. It is game three of their four-game season series as well. So the winner today also has a leg up <clears throat> Pardon me, in the uh, Ballard Cup competition between these two teams that dates back a few decades. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML.